0: Iyers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer.
1: Hello there, listeners. I, I know Richard's on, but I don't know if Linda's on yet, so I may launch out, launch forth solo, and we'll wait to see if Linda comes on the line.
0: Well, I'm here, Richard. Can you hear me?
1: There you are. I thought I'd lost you.
0: Uh, You had for a minute, but we're back together. That's awesome. I mean, right now Richard's on the road and I'm at home. So that is a little change up this week, but we have been on the road again or in the air, I should say. Um, We spent the last week with our children and grandchildren in New York City, in Manhattan and the Upper East Side, and then in Boston where we really enjoyed four grandchildren. By the
1: way, let me just say that uh, there's a lot of really interesting discussion about whether it's best to live close to your grandchildren or far away from them. And <laughs> you can probably see the uh, advantages of both sides. No, seriously, um, we do often long to have more of our grandchildren living close to us. Our, our kids are spread all over the world, as perhaps maybe for many of you listeners have the same situation. And sometimes you think how wonderful it would be to just walk down the road and see your grandkids or whatever. But on the other hand, when we are with our grandkids, I will say we are really with them, Linda. We're devoted to them entirely. It's probably the only reason we're there. And we probably work in more quality time with those grandkids in four or five days than we would in, who knows, a month or more if they were more accessible to us.
0: I know. Really, you know, you can make it work either way. Uh, We we have one family that lives close to us uh, about an hour away, which we're so delighted about, but we still have to get in the car and meet halfway or have them uh, spend an hour in the car seeing us, but an hour isn't bad. You know, the others or are New York, Boston, Washington D.C., two in Phoenix, one in Palo Alto, one in San Diego, and one in faraway Hawaii. And so it really is nice to have one family close to us so that we can really see them fairly often. However, because of our travel schedule, we are so so blessed. We get a chance to see the kids every 4 or 5 months, uh, pretty much all of them, which is so nice.
1: Well, actually, more often than that, we did a little chart last year, and uh, on average, we saw each of the grandkids four and a half times, which is um, basically once every three months or a little, little more frequently than that. So we are pretty blessed that we can do that. And some of you listeners are probably saying, wait a second, I heard that list of cities. How in the world did you get your kids to live? in all those places that are so fun to visit. And, and you know, we are lucky on that. I, there's not there's not one of them that lives in a place, of course, it wouldn't matter, would it? I mean, they could live in the the least desirable place to visit in the world, and it would suddenly become the most desirable place just because those grandkids were there. And, you know, you hear a lot of funny clichés and jokes about how, Oh, it was so great when I got there to visit the grandkids and it was so great when I left or, you know, they came to my house and I loved it when they came and I was really happy when they left. But the fact is, grandparenting is, here's here's my theory. I want to try it out on you, Linda, and on the listeners as well. I think not only is, you know, we hear so much about how much tougher it is to raise kids in today's world and indeed, we generally agree it is harder than it's ever been before. But at the same time, Parents are more devoted and more sort of, I don't want to use the word scientific, but they go about it more deliberately. And this word parenting has really become uh, a word we use a lot than any other generation. I'd like to say, Linda, I think that it's probably true across the board on average of grandparenting too. We see a lot of grandparents who really are not only highly involved with their kids, but really are quite deliberate about it. They have certain goals and things they want to do with those grandkids, things they want to teach them. Now, that that's a general average. There are a lot of grandparents who are just glad to get on down to Sun City where there aren't any kids at all and have a good time with the golf club. <laughs> but I, we don't, we don't run across so many of those. We run across more of the kind who are really into grandparenting. And it's a great thing because kids need grandparents. If they can possibly get them, if they don't have them, then they find other ways to get those influences. But what a great privilege grandparenting is. And I might just say one of the things we want to touch on during the show today is how do you, as a grandparent, coordinate what you want to do for your grandkids with Their own parents, in other words, your own children who are really in charge of those kids. And if you're a parent listening, how do you work with your parents to be the best grandparents they can be to your children without stepping on each other's toes, without sending mixed signals, without perhaps getting in the way of each other as we try to collectively do our best to raise these kids?
0: Yeah, in fact, I think one of our uh, the questions we're asked most often is how do you give advice to your children when you can see um, the solution to the problem that their children are having, <laughs> and you know what it is, but you know it you don't want to step over the bounds of. Um, telling them what to do, or disciplining their children, and so on, and that is really, really tricky because, as we visit with our grandchildren, you know there are different parenting styles, each of those, even though one of them is a blood relative of ours, the other one came from a different bloodline, and they have different things that they do with their their children they have different ways of discipline, they have different ways of dealing with things, and probably in some cases different than their own parents too, but it really is. A Um, an interesting, I shouldn't say task, but it is really a challenge to keep your mouth shut at the right time and then if you're asked for advice to go ahead and give it. But I think we should... um we should throw in a little thing here because we, um, we may have mentioned this earlier uh, on a radio show, but it would have been a long time ago. Richard has a plan because Richard has um, a need to give advice, a definite need to give advice. And he
1: I have a deep, deep, deep need to give advice.
0: <laughs> deep. And um, you go ahead and explain, honey, how you um, worked that out with our kids.
1: Well, we didn't mention this once before, but I think it's a good segue into something else that we really want to say that's brand new today. And, and the fact is that we went on, we were, we were walking, I, I should put it in the singular, I was walking on eggshells for a few years with uh, vis-a-vis my grandkids and with my kids because I tend to feel like if you have a feeling or a belief or you think you can offer some suggestion you pretty much got to do it because if you don't and then the mistake is made that you were trying to avoid or whatever, you're going to feel guilty and wish that you'd stepped up. And so I was erring toward the side of giving too much advice. And I have some pretty outspoken kids and one or two of them approached me in a nice dignified private way and said, dad, you got to lay off. I mean, you're, you're giving us so much advice. We can't even handle it all. And Plus, you don't always know all the inputs. And I, I was I stood well corrected on that. And I tried for another period of time to just back off entirely, and it was killing me. And I did miss a couple opportunities to, to say something that could have been very helpful. So one summer, we came up with what we called, quote, the pact, unquote, which essentially was a very simple two-way promise. Their promise was they would... Listen to my advice whenever I chose to give it and not be offended one bit by the advice that I might choose to lay out there. My agreement in concert with that one was I would not be offended if they didn't follow my advice. And I would acknowledge that I was one voice and there were many other voices they were listening to and there were many aspects of their decision or their situation that I might not be privy to and it might cause them to go another direction. Now, believe it or not, that has worked wonderfully. We've kept that. I honestly can say that there have been several times when I've offered advice, sometimes trivial, sometimes fairly important, and they've chosen not to follow it. We're not talking about big moral decisions here. We're talking about decisions that come up in the day to day of living and growing and career, and raising a family and so on. And, um, there have been many times when they've, they've said, thanks, Dad, I appreciate the input, and then they've gone and done a different thing. And I have never been offended. I can honestly say that. And I don't believe any of them have been offended by the advice I've given because, again, we've got it worked out in advance that, hey, let's all talk, let's all say what we mean, let's all listen, and let's understand that we each have stewardships and we have to make our own decisions. And so it's been, it's been great. And what do you want to add to that, Linda, and then I'll segue into one other related thought.
0: Well, I just have to add, I'm just here kind of giggling because (laughs) it just occurred to me that when the kids were home, when we would give them advice and they were still under our care and they did the other thing besides what you advise them to do, you always said to them, you'll be sorry in the morning. (laughs) Uh,
1: Those were little things, though. You'll be sorry
0: in the morning. And now... (laughs) That was um, a joke. the kids. Well, of course it was, but the kids have a great comeback now. You know, um, I wasn't sorry in the morning when I didn't. I didn't take your advice. We um, actually suggested once that they not. One of our kids wanted to buy a house, and we thought it was a horrible deal. And it actually turned out to be the deal of their lives. They so went ahead and bought it. It doubled in five years, and then it set them up for the rest of their life. So, you know. Oh, they love, they love to hold. They love
1: They love to hold that one over me, don't they?
0: Yeah, they do, but and I was in on that too. I thought it was crazy, but you know they know more than we do sometimes. You know, it really is true that they don't. We don't have all the inputs, and so it is important well, to be able to give them some advice, but at the same time, you know, not be overbearing or not be offended when they don't take it.
1: Well, here's the the thing I wanted to segue into just for a minute before we go to break, and that is that you you mentioned just a, a few minutes ago, Linda, that. Uh, Anytime you have a marriage, you have have the uniting of two family cultures, which probably includes two very different views on discipline, very different views on, maybe not very different, but uh, nuanced differences on on how to parent kids, and we bring those into a marriage from our own experience. But you also, if you're a grandparent and you have more than one child, you're also watching several different forms of parenting in your respective different children. I mean, when you think of our seven children who are now parents, Linda, there is such a wide variation in terms of how they approach the task of parenting. I think there's some similarities. They all have basically the same goals for their kids, at least in general terms, but the way they go about it, the way they teach them to handle money, the way they try to work with them in terms of Um, Electronic media, the the laws they have to govern their households, they're, they're all unique. And we're glad they are because they're not following someone else's formula. They have crafted what they think. And, of course, the big variable is the kids. The kids are different. And so you even have differences within families where a wise parent understands that this child needs a particular type of motivation and this other child needs a very different kind of motivation so we should always whatever role we're in in families we should applaud the individual fashioning of a strategy for a particular child
0: so we'll come back and talk about some of those different styles because we've experienced two this week in just a minute back and we're going to be talking about some different um, parenting styles according to the ages of the kids in New York City we have a cute little family living with their only child this is their first child and their they're, they were older when they had this child, and so they had read every book in the world on child care and labor and delivery and breastfeeding and everything they could possibly get their hands on. But now this little girl is one and almost one and a half, and honestly, it is so fun to see them parent this child because they're just... Hovering over her the whole time like, oh, look, oh, look, she stuck her finger out, and she saw that water, and and it was so cute, and of course, we're delighted, too, because they were desperate for this child, and we are so grateful that they have her, and she is just a precious little child, but they are just at such a different spot than one of our older kids who has teenagers. In fact, this daughter just called. One daughter called me a few minutes ago and said, oh, my gosh, we went out of town for Three days, and when we got back, we found out that our teenager had taken the car without telling the babysitter where that he was taking it or that he where he was and Then uh, her little one would not get out of the car to get on the bus but the friend who was taking her. she had to take her around to the front door of the elementary school, and um, the other child was crying because she was worried about the babysitter being offended and honestly. She was just telling me that, and I was laughing. I mean, I'm sure she was crying yesterday when this, or last weekend when this happened. But honestly, it really is the funniest thing because every parenting dilemma happens that could possibly happen. But what happens is different when the children are little and preschoolers, and then you go into elementary, and then you go to junior high, and then high school. And then it just goes right on through a daughter who is contemplating marriage. You know, parenting never ends, Richard. It just gets bigger.
1: Well, it really does. And and you know, you have different phases, but you also have again this whole different thing about uh what each member of the marriage brings to the family. The the our little our little family in New York that Linda's talking about, uh uh, the wife who married our son is a wonderful Swiss girl. She was raised in Switzerland. and She uh, has some marvelous gifts, including the fact that she speaks seven languages fluently. Boy, they put us Americans to shame when it comes to language and, and a cosmopolitan view of the world. But she's very Swiss in terms of being on time, having a schedule, following to the minute being prudent, having everything organized, getting to the airport two hours early. Now, if you now if you were to say, and again, this is kind of a tribute to our son, if you were to say, wow, I don't think I can handle that. I, I'm just not used to being that particular about everything. I just don't know how we're going to ever get together in our parenting style. Then you'd probably have a real problem, but... The way this this couple, I think, is a model for me and for a lot of people and, and that they have set their minds instead on discovering what is the best thing that you bring to to this idea of parenting and what have you learned, what did you see in your culture, in your own home that really worked and that you want to have continue in our family now and what things did did not work so well with you and what I mean we all it's funny we all have things when we're little kids we say to ourselves I'll never be like that when I'm a parent but then more times than not we find ourselves doing the same things and in many cases it's a good thing but this idea of being a deliberate parent and having a deliberate plan for your parenting part of it is bringing to the table the best practices in your own experience and combining them hopefully in a creative way, with the best practices from your spouse and what that spouse brings into the parenting.
0: Yeah, but now let's go on to grandparenting for a minute because that's where we are, and you've done some really fun things with our grandkids in the last couple of months. Richard decided that it was time for a grandfather date. I do Grammy camp in the summer, and so I get some time with the kids individually, but he, he doesn't get it so much, and so he's decided he's taken... Each of the kids, when we visit them, one at a time, out to a dinner place of their choice and then asking them some questions. And honestly, the questions are, the answers are hilarious.
1: Well, you know, I, I totally recommend this. I did when, when I was a father with young children, like so many of our listening audience probably does. I had daddy dates periodically. In our case, we would try every month to find, and that was no small challenge, given how many kids we had, to find one time. I'd sometimes have to double up and do two a night, not together, but separate daddy dates on the same night. But the rules were, you pick the place you want to go, and uh, you design what the daddy date is, and I'm I'm along for the ride and for the conversation and to pay the bills, and. You know, we had a little book that we used to keep for each of the kids that had a little record of each of those daddy dates, and and it would also have something stuck in it to remind them of that daddy date. Maybe it was a little piece of the menu if we went to a restaurant or a movie ticket if we went to a movie or a, a ball ticket if we went to a baseball game or whatever, and Interestingly, our kids still have those daddy-date books, and now I'm doing the same thing with the grandkids, not nearly as often, obviously. In fact, I've told them they get one a year, and we'll have to time it with when we're visiting them or when they're visiting us, but it'll be just the two of us one-on-one. And I have a bigger book now, and it's a kind of a collective book. It it has a little section, and it's a, it's got to be a big book because we're up to 24 grandkids, but I don't start this with them until they're eight years old. So right now, and we have a club, and we call it the Accountabilities Club, and the only requirement to join that is that you need to be eight years old and you need to be part of what we call IR realm, and then you're an automatic member and you get this one day a year of your choice. Well, I'll tell you, some of our grandkids, Linda, really, I mean, they're, they're like once a year, boy, I'm going to make it count. And I have been to some pretty good restaurants. I don't know where eight to ten to twelve-year-olds get get it figured out that this, you know, these expensive restaurants are good. And I don't want to go back to Burger King. I want to go to, <laughs> you know, the the fanciest right. French cooking restaurant I can find.
0: And well, okay. I think maybe it's their once parents once are putting a little something in their ear.
1: Maybe, maybe <laughs> they are. But, but
0: I have a set of questions
1: that I ask them, and it is really, really remarkable and fun. And it's, it's, you know, it's easier to sort of interview a child as a grandparent than it is as a parent. And I don't mean interview in the sort of Inquisition format where you're, you know, trying to get them to come to the answer you want them to have, but just to ask them questions. And with the auspices of this book, I'm collecting information on you, honey, because I'm your grandfather and I'm always going to be your grandfather. And the more I know about you, the better grandfather I can be and the more I can help you. And I get into some really interesting things. For example, One of the things we've done in this latest round is, uh, and it's kind of fun to have them write their answers in this book I have, because then you sort of remember their handwriting and how they express themselves and so on. And one of the questions is, what are the things that you are absolutely sure that you will do during your lifetime? And then secondly, what are some things you might do, but you're not sure you'll do them? And what are thirdly the third category? What are some things you're absolutely sure you will never do during your entire lifetime? Now, you got to be careful, unless that sounds like a manipulative question. And if you've got a teenager, they're on to you. They're like, ah, you know, you want me to say I'll, I'll, you know, get married in in the right place, and I'll I'll never smoke and I'll never drink and so on. But with the younger ones, which which is where most of ours are now. Boy, they take those questions dead seriously, and they're not going to give you sort of bad answers. We've had some of the funniest things. I had one little 10-year-old granddaughter, and, and i on the one, what is something you're absolutely sure you'll never do? She thought about that. What do you mean, grandfather? Well, I mean, I don't want to give you too many clues, but is there something you are just sure you are never going to do? And I thought she'd say, I, I, I hope she'd finally say, well, yeah, I'll... I'll never do drugs, or, or well, yeah, I'll, uh, I won't cheat, or whatever. But she thought about it for a long time, and then she finally said, "Okay, I, I know one thing: I will never ride a bike naked in public." <laughs> and I said, "Are you? What, what would make you say that, Eliza?" And she said, "Well, we were in San Francisco, and I saw." Uh, a man riding a bike naked in public, and I said to myself right then, I will never do that. <laughs> so, so you're. you're but my point is, you're kind of getting entertained while you have these little grandfather dates, and um, you're also learning so much. You can start out with just saying, "What's your favorite?" You know, "What's your favorite color?" "What's your favorite food?" "What's your favorite subject in school?" "What's your favorite sport?" And it's just so interesting to watch their little minds work and to learn all you can about them. And then to keep that all written down in the special book. And they know that next year when they have their date with their grandfather again, we're going to look back through that, that, uh, that page or two a year ago and remember how funny it was when, when you were only 10 years old and now you're 11. And it's, I just think it's a, a tradition that's going to last and, and, you know, one thing it does for me, Linda, and you're you're pretty good at this. You you do this somewhat naturally. I have to kind of train myself. It it forces me to think about each of those grandkids as an individual. It's easy as a grandparent. You get them together at some party, or you entertain them, or you take them all to the movie or whatever. And, and group group things are fun with grandkids, but you're not really differentiating them one at a time and getting to know them as individuals and that's that's what this grandfather de- thing causes me to do
0: well and actually I, I totally agree with that I, we went to a school conference in Colombia last year where all private schools from all over Latin America came and their outstanding principals and teachers were there and they, uh, one of the teachers did a class on getting to know each of the kids, and she said, I have 24 kids in my classroom. And I thought, oh, I have 24 grandchildren. Tell me what you know. And she said, I can't learn collectively how, who they are. I have to know individually who they are. So I send out a questionnaire, and I have them write down, what are you worried about, uh, what scares you, you know, those kinds of things so that she can understand where this child's coming from. It is really so insightful when you start asking questions of these children who you love so much and you find things that you had no idea that they were for example worried about Um, so we really suggest that you go into this with open eyes and knowing that you know there may be some bumps but by and large if you take them out to dinner and start asking questions they're going to want to be participating with that and you will learn who your grandchildren really are Thanks for listening. We'll see you
1: next week on Irs on the Road.